Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Renee Powers here, and today I am going to wrap up Disability Visibility, Disability Pride Month with an overview of all of the books that we featured on our TikTok this month. Feminist Book Club TikTok, we have been doing a daily recommendation, one person, one movement, or one organization, or one moment in history, all so July is Disability Pride Month, and that's what we did. So go over to Feminist Book Club on TikTok if you want to see more in-depth reviews of these books and recommendations of these books. I'm just going to share the books that I personally recommended, though our entire team was recommending all sorts of things all month long. We have it in in its own playlist, but here we go. I'm going to start with El Defo by Cece Bell. I specifically recommended the audiobook version of this because it's a full cast and fully produced recording of a graphic novel, and the way that it is turned into an audiobook from a graphic novel is brilliant and so well done. The next book is One for All by Lily Lanoff. Now, this is a YA retelling of the Three Musketeers, gender-bent with a main character with chronic illness. She has POTS, POTS. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's when someone is prone to fainting, dizziness, and just generally lightheadedness. If you like The Three Musketeers, you have to check out One for All by Lily Lanoff. The next book, and really my number one recommendation, is Disability Visibility, First Person Stories from the 21st Century, edited by Alice Wong. This is one of our previous books of the month, and it is a collection of exactly what it says, essays, creative nonfiction, about what it by disabled authors and what it means and what it feels like and and how they experience the world in disabled bodies. And I just think it is so fantastic. It is incredibly diverse in terms of identity and gender and race and sexuality, but also in terms of disability. So I think it gives a really good breadth of content for you to read. Absolutely incredible collection. The next book is Breathe and Count Back from 10 by Natalia Sylvester. If you are unfamiliar with Natalia Sylvester, I absolutely love her work. This is another YA novel, but it's not a retelling. It's an original. Essentially, the main character has hip dysplasia. She's a very strong swimmer, and she auditions to become a mermaid at a theme park. And spoiler alert, she is accepted and doesn't want to tell her parents, and her parents want her to have another surgery. And it is so full of heart, so full of love. And this character, Veronica, you are going to fall in love with her. The next is The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Now, this is a spicy romance featuring an autistic main character. She's Asian. This is kind of a gender-flipped pretty woman. She wants to learn the ways of romance, and so she hires an escort to teach her, and sparks fly. Helen Huang has a series based. This is the beginning of a series. They're all standalone, but you know how romance series go. So if you like this, you've got a couple other of her novels in the same universe to to read. Now, the next book is The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. This is just the most charming memoir from Kia Brown. She lives with 
cerebral palsy and she is black. She's a twin. Her twin is able-bodied, so it gives her a lot to be jealous of growing up. And this memoir, she's in her mid-20s when she writes it, and it gives her a lot of, there's just like a lot of growth that you can witness on the page. And her voice is so delightful. Like this woman just is one of the most exuberant writers I've ever read. Read, And I just really, really love this book. I think it is the perfect book to hand off to, you know, a teen, someone kind of in early adulthood, maybe someone starting college, someone moving out for the first time who maybe has a disability or even, I mean, honestly, it's for anyone, but especially for those kind of teens and young adults with a disability who are making big changes in their lives. I think The Pretty One by Kia Brown would be the perfect gift for them. The next book I recommended is going to be one of my top books of the year, and it's True Biz by Sarah Novich. This came out last year. It got a lot of buzz, but I didn't, I think I didn't recognize or resonate with the title. So I wasn't, I had no idea what it was about. And honestly, I thought it was a book about a business. <laughs> Turns out True Biz is slang and ASL that basically means for real or no joke. And this is about a deaf school and all of the characters within this deaf school. We follow the principal. We follow some of the students. We follow the townspeople. We follow some administrators. It is so good. And I listened to the audio version of this. And I've got to say, you know, I think in the, the written book, in the physical book, there's space left on the page to indicate ASL. In the audiobook, they have recorded the author speaking the dialogue in ASL. So, or signing the dialogue. That's the better way to say it, isn't it? And so you hear kind of the rustling of ASL in the background. It adds so much to the story. There's also the spoken dialogue, but I think that's just the sound of ASL, knowing that what we're hearing on the audiobook is actually being signed. Immersive, fantastic. Absolutely recommend this book. The next book I want to recommend that I recommended on TikTok is The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. And I haven't actually seen this on any of the Disability Pride lists out there because I think it is so, it's not a major plot point. And I think it's important to include these kind of ancillary plots about disability in the disability canon because it goes to show that any one of us can become disabled at any point in our life. So Fiona Davis in the last few years was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's and our main character in The Spectacular. It's one of those historical novels, but it's like a looking back historical novel. So we meet the main character in the present and then we hear her story from like the 50s and 60s. And she also has Parkinson's in, in kind of the present day portion of the story. This is a story, it's, I call it a mom book. I actually sent it to my mom. <laughs> my mom and I love the Rockettes and this is a book about the Rockettes. And it's kind of a mystery, and it's got a little bit of love and romance, and it is in historical fiction. And I love Fiona Davis. I think she is one of the best historical women's fiction novelists out there, bar none. And The Spectacular was right up my alley. So if you love a little 50s New York, this is a great book. The next book I want to talk about is What Doesn't Kill You, A Life with Chronic Illness, Lessons from a Body in Revolt by Tessa Miller. I recommend this book for folks with chronic illness, but also more especially for folks who love folks with chronic illness, because Tessa Miller is a journalist. She has 
Crohn's disease. And she's a young woman. She talks about, you know, how long it took her to be diagnosed, the frustration of, of getting a proper diagnosis and, you know, coping and living with, with chronic illness now. But what I love so much about this is all the resources she shares in this book for folks with chronic illness, but for folks who love folks with chronic illness, like what to do when someone you love <laughs> is diagnosed with, with a disability or with an illness. And it is so, so good. Really readable, really great writing style. I think it is fantastic. Now, the next book is Queens of Geek by Jen Wild. And this is a young adult novel with autism rep. Our main characters are two Australian geeks, two girls who go to their very first comic convention, basically like San Diego Comic Con. They go to California for this convention and they bring their third friend who's a dude. And, you know, one of our characters catches feelings for the dude. The other character catches feelings for another like vlogger, V-logger, video blogger. At the convention, Sparks Fly, very sweet, very charming. Queens of Geek, just a whole lot of fun. Now, the next is Disfigured on Fairy Tales, Disability, and Making Space by Amanda Leduc. Now, this is a nonfiction book that dives deep into representations of disability in the fairy tales and folktales we all know and love. So, Amanda Leduc has cerebral palsy and she loves fairy tales but she never saw herself represented in them or represented poorly in fairy tales, right? So I'm thinking of the Seven Dwarves or Scar from The Lion King or Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like disability in fairy tales is often something to overcome to become a hero or something that the villain has. One's bodily ability is inherent to one's goodness when it comes to these fairy tales. And what does that mean when children read these growing up? You know, they're going to learn things about folks with disabilities that aren't true, or they're not going to be able to see themselves if they are disabled in, in these stories that we're all reading growing up. And that's really sad. So I really enjoyed this book. I think that it is really smart, well-written, well-researched, and makes me think about fairy tales in a different light. I've got two more. Stephanie Fu's What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. Stephanie Fu has complex PTSD. This is our book of the month for mental health month. I don't actually know if Stephanie identifies as disabled. However, I will say that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, PTSD is recognized. And if you have PTSD, you can ask for accommodations in any kind of government facility. So that is important to note. And I think more people need to know that, that you have every right to ask for accommodations if you have PTSD, whether or not you identify as disabled. So that's, that's my caveat there. But this is one of the most beautiful books about mental health that I have ever read. It's really, really hard. The first half is really hard. Because she goes into detail on the childhood abuse and abandonment that she experienced. She's an accomplished journalist now and has done a ton of healing. And you see the healing on the page. She actually shares transcripts with her therapist from her therapy sessions, which I was just, as a nosy Nelly, absolutely fascinated by that. And then finally, I want to talk about Cataloging Pain by Allison Blevins. This is a poetry collection by a local author here in 
Minneapolis. And we actually met her at the Wordplay Festival. No, not at Wordplay, at the Radial Book Festival this summer. Allison is fantastic. She's going to be joining us for a lunchtime discussion of publishing, poetry, and disability. She'll be joining our members for that. It is, this collection is, it juxtaposes her diagnosis with multiple sclerosis with her partner's gender transition. And it explores motherhood and parenthood and the body and care and and love and intimacy. It is so beautiful. It is short, but it packs a punch. So instead of individual books in the show notes, I'm actually going to leave the bookshop.org list that I have put together with all of these titles and some of these other titles that my co-contributors have shared on TikTok as well as part of the series. So you can find that in the show notes. Even if you are disabled and not proud, that's okay. I think that's really important to acknowledge. But if you live with a disability, if you, whether that be intermittent disability, invisible disability, or physically disabled, listen, you are welcome here. And we are so glad that you are here listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and look forward to speaking with you again. At Feminist Book Club, one of our favorite genres of nonfiction is learning the stories of the women behind famous or powerful men. So I am thrilled to share a brand new book with you. Parachute Women, Marianne Faithful, Marsha Hunt, Bianca Jagger, Anita Pallenberg, and the Women Behind the Rolling Stones by Elizabeth Winder. These four women worked tirelessly behind the scenes to help shape and curate the image of the Rolling Stones. This book is a beautiful, comprehensive group portrait of four women who were marginalized by the male-dominated rock world of the late 60s and early 70s, finally giving the women the credit they deserve for the impact on one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Even if you're not a Rolling Stones fan, you'll be blown away by the audacity of these women, and you'll love the rock and roll stories Elizabeth Winder shares in these pages. Perfect for readers of Girls Like Us, Parachute Women by Elizabeth Winder is out now from Hachette Books. Thank you for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Book Club. My name is Nox Kiros. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm joined today by Taylor because we are going to talk about essentially Libby getting banned in the state of Mississippi for those under the age of 18. I want to talk about this topic because we've seen the widespread book bans that are happening throughout the country. We know the impacts that the, this has. And Mississippi, you know, this is one of the ways that people are able to get access to books if they're not near a library or for whatever reason can't go to a physical library. And this is this just, you're taking more books out of the hands of minors. But first, I'm going to let Taylor introduce herself. Taylor, she, her pronouns, one of the contributors here at Feminist Book Club. So what are your initial thoughts like when you first heard about what's happening in Mississippi? Libby. Well, for the for the longest time, I was an Overdrive gal, but then Overdrive was like, we're going to shut down. So I moved to Libby and I recommend it to everyone. It just makes reading so accessible. Like they have ebooks, they have audiobooks. And I feel like sometimes 
reading physical books is kind of hard for people to get access to because they don't want to go to a library. They don't have transportation to a library and they can't afford like a $30 hardback. So having this online resource for library books, especially audiobooks, because I'm telling all of my like adult year friends, like, yeah, I think do it while cleaning and driving to work and things like that. So it makes reading like so much more accessible for people. And I feel like because it's so tech, it's more appealing to like younger people. So the fact that you're taking away this like highly accessible, highly sought after resource for young people is absolutely ridiculous. That was like my first thought. I was just like, why are we taking... Everybody, all these like boomers and people want to complain about, oh, all kids these days want to do is like play video games. And now you want to like actually literally take books away from them. Okay. You just reminded me of something I thought I had pushed far back into my memory and would never come up again. And it, it's an article called Texting Makes You Stupid by Niall Ferguson, which is essentially this person complaining over and over again about the death of literacy in young people and how they don't read the classics because they'll be texting when the world ends. And it's like, they don't read the classics like Don Quixote and like Pride and Prejudice. And it was just like, I was like, first of all, I don't think a single book on that list wasn't by a white person. And second of all, this made me so mad that for like undergrad, I wrote 15 pages just tearing this article to shred. But that's exactly what it is, is, you know, you always hear like, oh, young people don't want to read. They want to Instagram or things like that, you know. And here was a way to make reading more accessible. Here was a way, especially for people who can't afford books. Like I've been on a book buying ban this year. And I say a book buying ban, realistically, it's I can't afford books. And that is like the saving grace for me to be able to read books, for me to be able to read books, you know, with other contributors here. Or, you know, if I hear something, things like that. It's just been the way that I've been able to read. And it's been really helpful this year, especially. And I have a friend who lives in Mississippi. So I immediately asked them, hey, what's going on? And my friend is over 18. They're my age. But they're like, I don't think people understand that this is kind of like a library desert in that in my case, I can't go to the physical library. There really isn't one near me. So I have to use Libby. And I know that a lot of people who are readers do have to use Libby. It's like, our, that's how we get access to books. And they're like, the nearest library to me, in person, they don't have anything newer than Twilight. And I asked, well, is there anything we can do to help? And they're like, honestly, I don't know how people can help because I've tried donating any physical books that I've gotten to the library. But because of these rules, I, the library will just throw them away because, you know, it's too long and it, or it costs too much to go through all these books to see if they're going to abide by these very specific rules. And if you all don't know what I'm talking about, the reason Libby is getting banned is because Mississippi has a new code, which I'm going to include the case text in the show notes so y'all can read it for yourself. But it's Mississippi Code 39325, which is part of House Bill 1315. 
It went into effect July 1st, and it says that a public library can only offer digital or online resources or databases to people only if the vendor or other person or entity providing the resources verifies that all the resources comply with the provisions of subsection 2. Essentially, they have to make sure that they're preventing people from receiving child porn, materials that depict or promote child sexual exploitation or trafficking, obscene materials, inappropriate materials, depicting or dealing with matters of sex, cruelty, and violence in a manner likely to be injurious or harmful to a child, materials that are sexually oriented, and they have to filter of access to obscene materials, inappropriate materials, materials that are sexually oriented, or materials that depict, describe, or promote child porn or child sexual exploitation. And then they say that sexually oriented materials is masturbation, sodomy, excretory functions, which means kept in underpants, also qualifies under that, I want to point out. Lewd exhibition of the genitals or female breasts, sadomasochistic abuse for the purpose of sexual stimulation or gratification, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, sexual intercourse, physical contact with a person's clothed or unclothed genitals, pubic area, buttocks, the breast or breast of a female for the purpose of sexual stimulation, gratification, or perversion. So LGBT plus materials and any book that talks about sex whatsoever. Even if, I'm not saying that LGBT materials talk about sex, I want to clarify, but they specifically did include homosexuality and lesbianism right before bestiality. Right. And like, it's just that range of things, because that also like covers like homosexuality and anatomy textbooks. So it's not even like just fiction. It's like actual scientific factual books as well. And like you said, Captain Underpants. So like so many books are just like being taken out of the hands of young people. And this is the time where they're learning about themselves. They're learning about their sexuality. And oftentimes when you don't get comprehensive sexual education in schools, like you learn it from books. I know I was that kid. Like I wasn't doing anything, but I was reading about it. And like that was like developmental, like that was like so much a part of like my development, like as a sexual being, just like reading about like those experiences. And yes, there's a lot of things that like, there's a lot of sexual interactions in like, young adult novels that I read as a young person and as an adult where it talks about like sexual assault and things like that. But still young people need to hear those stories because assault and abuse happens to young people and they need to figure out like they're not alone in that situation. There's help. There's hope. You can come out on the other side and limiting all of these experiences for young people is not protecting them keeping them in the dark is not protecting them yeah like so i never understood why as a kid my grandmother had conversations about with me about safe sex and sex like that when i was like eight years old i was like in the, i was also in the parking lot of Barnes noble and i remember specifically she's like i never did this and i looked at her and she's like i probably did this but she's telling me and my cousin who's nine about safe sex and what sex is and how we could always go to her you know if we have any questions and i'm i'm very very asexual 
<laughs> so, like, talking to my grandmother about these kinds of things is part of the reason I know I'm asexual. <laughs> because I was like, oh, I'm not like, no, I love my grandma. She's amazing. But I didn't realize that the main reason she wanted to do that was my grandma has always said, I never want you to be ignorant. And I didn't realize at the time because I was eight, I didn't think about these kinds of things. This was my grandma trying to protect me and trying to make sure that if anything ever did happen, I would know what happened was wrong. You know, like I would have the words and I would also know, I know who to go to if somebody does something. This was my grandma's way of protecting me and making sure that I, my cousin and I knew we were safe and that we'd be okay. And also her way of making sure that if we did, you know, decide to go and have sex at a young age, not like eight years old, but like whenever we did eventually, you know, whenever we do plan on having, going out and having sex with somebody, not feeling shame. Like this was my grandmother's way of making sure that I was raised to be, you know, confident in my sexuality while also being, having the language in case something ever happened where I needed to have that language at a young age, you know? And I think that the idea where people are like, oh, you just want kids to know what sex is. It's like, no, I don't want to have these conversations. I genuinely don't. I get so red. I can feel myself being warm right now. Like, I am not the person to have these conversations with. And that's perfectly fine. I am not the person I have these conversations with. I want kids to feel safe. I want kids to have the language because it has been shown that when kids have the language to describe what happened, they're able to describe what happened and they're able to go to somebody for help. It also just, the idea that you're putting homosexuality, lesbianism, you know, just LGBT in general, in the same sentence as bestiality, go fuck yourself. What the fuck? That is not the same whatsoever. I have never felt like sexualized by the LGBT plus community the way that I have by straight people, even at a young age. And so because libraries can't adhere to this set of unrealistic fucking standards, now it's just, if you're under 18, you can't use Libby because we can't do this. Right. Well, first of all, shout out to you, your grandma, for being amazing and having those conversations with you. And like you said, not everybody feels comfortable like talking about sex, especially to young people. I know like my little siblings and my little cousins came to me as like the older sibling cousin. Like I'd be like, oh, no. And uh, that's why it's so important to have other educational resources where they're getting accurate information. And it's not just like from some unvetted TikToker or like looking at porn and like seeing unrealistic expectations. Like you have a more nuanced conversation when it's like told throughout a story. And everybody wants to, well, a lot of right wing extremists want to come and be like, people are limiting our First Amendment right of free speech. And it's like, what do you think book bans and ban and 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 limiting access to ebooks and audiobooks to kids is banning critical race theory. What do you think that is? That is infringing on First Amendment rights just because you don't have control of the narrative that's being told anymore. And uh, the narrative isn't whitewashed by white supremacy. So yes, awesome. 
yeah, fuck them for putting lesbianism, sodomy, homosexuality right next to bestiality because obviously they know language is so important. That's why they're banning books. But just seeing that together is like making LGBTQ plus people look subhuman and it's a way to dehumanize them if they're comparing that to bestiality, which is absolutely fucking stupid. Yeah, the... There's just so many things about this where it's like, what, what the fuck? Like, I know that a lot of people who will say it's like, well, the parents should get to decide whether or not the kids are reading that. In which case, pay attention to what your fucking kid is reading. Like, my, my family is very like open about things, and they're like, I, they were always with me at the library. They're always like showed interest in what I was reading. They still show interest in what I'm reading. My grandma will be like. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I'm very interested in this. Tell me more, because my grandma is amazing, and we love her. But, you know, my family was, like, very attentive to what I'm reading, you know? And there was only one time, one time where they ever said, don't, you have to put that book back. And it was very, (laughs) it's kind of a funny story. It was only because I was really into witches when I was a kid. I found a book of spells, and I was just, like, I was just interested in how the spells work, but I was also bullied a lot. And my family made me give the book back specifically because they were worried I was going to try to hex one of my classmates. I love that. But that was a very specific reason. And because, like, I was upset about it because I'm like, I'm not going to hex anybody. And they kind of just look at me. I'm like, I really want this. But at the same time, it was such a, like, uh, they never say no to what I want to read. Like, okay, we can, that that's fine. There's an actual reason, you know? and. It's like, oh, well, I can't monitor what my kid's doing all the time. That's fair. Parents are busy. That's fair. That's not my problem. In the sense that it's like, because your kid, because you can't monitor what your kid's watching, that means now that every kid in Mississippi, when at 16 years old, they're at the age of consent at 16. So at 16 years old, you can go, have sex with whoever that's over the age of 16, you just can't read a book online because it might show... Let's be honest, it's not about the sex stuff because if it was about the sex stuff, it would have been put into effect years ago. It's about the fact that they're looping in LGBT plus communities and representation with bestiality and just sexual perversiveness, you know, which is... But it's 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 about that. It's about, oh, shit, there's more LGBT books. Now we got to find a way to ban all of it. I know. We'll say we're protecting the children. No, you're not. They'll, they're, I, hey, they're still going to be gay. Your kids are going to be gay whether or not they read LGBT plus books. But, you, but those books help so many people. And now you're taking away from all of Mississippi's children. So you can control the narrative of what's right and what's wrong. And... Oh, this is what happened. Don't worry about that. And people, it's another way of trying to erase certain identities from society. And I saw this like TikTok, like it was a clip from a podcast. And I guess this guy was like arguing against this like white dude podcaster that was just like, oh my God, everybody's gay now. And he was showing this chart that was like, do you see like the number of left-handed people in like the 1600s when they thought being left-handed was evil? So they made everybody right with their right hand. It's like very low. 
And then all of a sudden they were like, okay, it's, it's cool to write with your left hand. And the number of people who are left-handed like skyrocketed because they were no longer forced to be right-handed. And then it plateaued. And he's like, that's not because like all of a sudden all these like left-handed people were born out of nowhere and it was just like an anomaly. No, like they've always been there, but society made them change themselves, made them hide who they are, made them hide who they were born to be. And now that I don't want to say like queer people are accepted because obviously from this book ban, queer people are not accepted. Now that we as a society have more accepting attitudes openly towards queer people and trans people, like it's not like they're, oh, just coming out the woodwork or like converting kids or whatever. No, people are able to be who they are. And when they have these stories to see themselves, see possibility, who they could be, representation is so important for you to see a future for yourself of possibilities, what life could be like. And if you take away that representation from young people, they're the LGBTQ plus people already have really high rates of depression, suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, suicide completions. And it's not because there's something inherently wrong with them. It's because society, there's something wrong with society that oppresses queer people. I am really curious how this is going to be fought against because I know people are going to fight against this when Florida tried banning or no, it wasn't Florida. There was somewhere where they just like, well, we're banning all things with sexual material. So someone banned the Bible, which before, before anyone says anything, hi, I'm Christian. I'm not for banning the Bible. I'm saying though, you better fucking check what you're t- trying to ban because I want you to see that maybe some of the stuff you read, too, is going to get looped into all your bigotry. When I was trying to research more about this, there wasn't much except for the book Riot article and one by the MarySue.com. Like, there wasn't much about this, unfortunately, and that's terrifying. You know, it's this is a very big deal, and I am terrified of the ways it's going to spiral, especially because I'm a teacher. I'm terrified of the ways that this is going to spiral. And earlier when you were talking about like people learning about sex and stuff from TikTok, I taught eighth grade last year. There was a concerning amount of people that really looked up to Andrew Tate. There was a concerning amount of people. I do not want Andrew Tate teaching people about relationships. Genuinely, I'd, I'd much rather parents have a conversation about respect and like how to Make sure you respect your partner and your partner respects you and things like that. If kids, for whatever reason, though, like want to read though books with healthy representation and healthy relationships, I want them to be able to read those books. So, well, the solution is just bail, bail, ban all white male podcasters. Well, no, there's some like misogynist black male podcasters too. Just ban all the misogynists and like racist and gross podcasters instead of like books. Because that's that's the stuff you need to be limiting. That's the stuff I don't want my children to listen to. That's the stuff that I don't want poisoning the mind of society. I don't want them pushing their agenda on me. So if only we could just ban the gross podcasters. Not us. We're the good podcasters. <laughs> that's the new tagline. We're the good podcasters. 
I want people from states that aren't just California to have the opportunities that my nieces currently have in California, because I see how having access to books has helped my nieces understand the world around them, understand certain things that are happening, help them understand themselves. There's a book, I forget what it's called, but it's essentially, my nieces are mixed, right? And so am I. And so they had a book where it was talking about, you know, mixed colors in the sense like reds usually married reds, but then a red and a blue fell in love, you know, and things like that. And it was very like base level, but it also helped my niece, the oldest one, understand that she is mixed and how the di- her parents, you know, and, and how her relationship with her grandparents like informs her identity. You know, that book's going to be banned somewhere. In what in a there's going to be a state that bans that book for whatever reason, you know. I I want all all kids, all people really, to have the chance to have access to books that help them understand themselves, the way that my niece was able to understand herself, because that was a book that would have helped me when I was a kid, and I think that everyone deserves that chance, especially you know there. There's like lots of jokes about let's just throw Mississippi and Florida into the ocean and things like that. No, there's so many people that don't want this that are like either don't want to leave because that's their home and they shouldn't have to or are stuck there because it's freaking expensive to move. (laughs) I am in a state trying to move to just another city and I can't afford to. Moving state to state is so expensive. I want people throughout the country to have these opportunities. And so Mississippi... I say this with love. What the genuine fuck? Like, you're just hurting your citizens more so, more than anything else. So, yeah. Anything? You're not protecting kids. You're not. You're not. There's so many ways to protect kids. And banning assault rifles. Oh, that's a, that's a big one. There's so many different ways. We will help you. We, If you come to us, I will tell you, here are some ways to help protect your kids that aren't Banning books. And I don't blame the librarians who or whoever decided, you know what, we just need to ban ban Libby. I don't blame them because that's a response. Because there's no... Genuinely, how are they going to keep up with the ridiculous statutes in that? I ban the people who ban that stupid freaking code. Who pushed that code. I don't ban the people who are like, well, shit, I don't know how to keep up with this. This is the only way to keep libraries accessible for some people. Instead of having to completely shut them down because of $500 fines that will add up continuously. No, I definitely agree. When you said that article, I was just like, are you kidding me? Let's be honest. Nobody's going to take this sitting down. So when you see somebody from Mississippi or someone who has to deal with these active book bans, you know, these constant book bans, ask how you can support, how you can support them fighting against it. But thank you, Taylor, for letting me scream about this with you. Yeah. I need to vent too, because this is just absolutely ridiculous. Donate to your local library so they can hire someone to go through all the books so they don't have to ban Libby, but also vote these politicians who make these ridiculous laws out of office and pay attention to local politics because obviously they're just as important as federal politics. And you can support little free libraries so people can have access to books somehow. Probably stacked them up with banned books. 
All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. And we will see you in another podcast or the other segments coming up. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature.